Sorry, Danny. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll open up to uh, Psalm 32 with me, please. We come today to step four on what we've called the road to recovery. And before we get to step four this morning, we want to remind ourselves of, of where we've been. That's uh, a good thing to do for us today. And so in doing so, we're going we're gonna to walk through these first three steps. If you've not been with us, this will be for your benefit. And if you've forgotten, this will be for your benefit as well. So uh, we're going to walk back through the first three steps together today. And I'll, I'll put these on the screen and give us an opportunity to read these together. We began uh, the first Sunday in February with this statement from step one. Let's read this together. To realize I'm not God, I admit I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable. And then we came to step two a couple of weeks ago, and it was this. Let's read this together. To earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. And then step three we came to last week. Let's read this together. To consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. You'll remember last week that we had this illustration of these, these stones uh, that represented the things that are standing between us and a right relationship with God, the things that are holding us back, these burdens that we carry. And we, we read from Matthew 11 about how Christ wants to take those burdens from us and give us his burden, which is easy, his, his burden, which is light. And, and we walked through that together. And so I want us to just kind of for a moment review a little bit about these three steps. That first step is basically uh, the step of saying, I have a problem that I can't fix on my own. And the Bible calls this problem sin. It's a common problem. We all, the Bible says, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has a sin problem, but it, it manifests itself in a variety of different ways in our lives. While, while sin is a common problem, there's a, there's a difference in each of our lives. It reveals itself in different areas, in different temptations, in different hurts and habits and hang-ups that we have in our lives. But the first step in this road to recovering from that is to admit that I've got a problem and that I'm powerless to do anything about that on my own. We spend so much of our lives trying to fix ourselves when all the while the God of the universe who has all power is just desiring that we would look to him. That's step two is to look to God, to believe that God exists and that I matter to him, that he loves me, that, there's, that he really desires to have a relationship with me. And then thirdly, that he has the power to help me to recover, to look to him as my power source, no longer just looking to my own self. We talked about willpower and how and we're not looking to our willpower, but we're looking to, to God's will and God's power at work in our lives. That's what real willpower is. And then we came to that point of decision last week. If I, if I realize I've got a problem I can't fix and I look to God by faith knowing that he can fix it, then the decision part is step three. Will I consciously make this decision and this, this willful choice to commit myself to him, to take him at his word that he can remedy my situation, that he can redeem what I've broken, that he can restore what I've screwed up? Will I really trust God in that and choose to commit my life and my will to Christ's care 
and control. Now here's the temptation as we come to step four today. The temptation is to see step three, the laying down of that stone, the conscious decision to trust Christ and and to put myself under his care and control. We often see that as the finish line. Like, whew, glad that's done. Laid the rock down, good to go now, right? Some of you this very week have experienced the fact that that is not the finish line. That's the starting point, folks. You get to that point where we got last week, you get to that place where you're ready to lay down the burden that is keeping you from walking with Him and growing in Him and and moving forward in your life. You get to that point, that is not the finish line. That's not the arrival place. That's the departure place. That's where you begin. And now is where we begin. What I see is the uphill v- b- portion, the uphill portion of this road to recovery. This is where the rubber meets the road and it starts to get hard. And you may think, well, man, I thought last week was hard. I thought the laying down was hard. But I'm going to tell you, I think this is where it begins to get difficult. This is where it's so, uh, we might say it separates the men from the boys. That's not to offend any of the ladies in the room. That's just an old saying, okay? Thank you, Kaylee. At least somebody laughed at that. Y'all are a tough crowd sometimes, I tell you. But this is where it starts to get serious. This is where we'll really see if we're really on this road or if we're just playing the game. And this is the kind of step today that's going to show that. What is step four? It's this. The Owen recovery is to openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and here's the kicker, and to someone I trust. Now, we're going to walk you through this today, but that last phrase is where so many of us, and I'm going to include myself in the group of this, this is where so many of us get hung up. In fact, we're okay with the first two people in that equation. I'm okay to admit my, own, my faults to myself. I'm okay even to admit those to God. But the thought of actually having to sit down face-to-face with another person and do that, that sounds like the scariest thing I could ever begin to do. That's where we're going to direct you toward today because I believe that's where the Word of God takes us. Would you, if you're able, stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read Psalm 32. Let me give you just a a slight bit of context before we read today. King David writes this psalm as a response to that episode in his life where he not only committed adultery, but then he committed murder to try to cover it up. This is a man of whom it was said, King David was called a man after God's own heart. And we could seek to stand in judgment over him today to say, how could a man after God's own heart lust after a woman who was not his wife, bring her into his home and have an illicit affair with her, try to cover that up by bringing her husband home in order to do what only her husband should have been doing with her. And then because her husband was more faithful than the king was, he had him killed in order to cover up his crime and went almost a year without anyone knowing, until God sent the prophet Nathan to confront him with his sin. We could easily say that doesn't sound like a much like a man after God's own heart. But I want you to see the result today. 
of what David walked through as Nathan confronted him with his sin and David went into the temple and bowed his face down before the Lord and began this process. This road of recovery was real for David. Look at the results here in Psalm 32. David writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, remember that's almost a year of David's life. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then there's this really weird little Hebrew word, selah. And we're not sure exactly what this word means, but it's preserved here in our English Bibles. We think the best, the best idea of what we can understand of this word is this, that it, it probably means to stop and to think on these things. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Just for a moment, we're going to take long here. But I want you to look back at that verse. And maybe you can remember a time in your own life when that describes exactly what you went through. Because of hidden sin in your own life. Because of the fear that you would be found out. Because of the weight of that sin on you. You felt as though your bones, your very bones were wasting away. That you were inwardly groaning. The, the King James Version, I believe, says that you were, there was a roaring in your soul. All day long. Would you take just a moment and look at that verse? Read it silently to yourself and think about when that was true for you. And then David goes on in verse 5. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And again, say, Law, let's take a moment and meditate upon the forgiveness of God. Have you drunk deeply of his forgiveness? Have you known what it's like? to have made that confession and have to experience the love of God as demonstrated in His cleansing of your sin. Let's take a moment and meditate upon that. Be reminded of His grace this morning. And David moves on from there and he says in verse 6, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Let's meditate on that place this morning. That rather than hiding in our sin, in the darkness of our sin, God offers us a hiding place in the light of His righteousness. 
The scriptures say that we are, those who trust Christ, are hidden with Christ in God. This is a beautiful place. It's not a place of hiding from something. It's a place of hiding in something, in someone, in the God who loves you. And that he would be your refuge. That he would be your preservation from trouble. And the one who surrounds you with not whispers of deliverance, but shouts. Let's meditate on that place for a moment. And David concludes in this way. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You can be seated. Lord, as we are seated in this moment, as we have meditated upon your word, Lord, we make this our simple prayer today, Father, that your steadfast love would surround us, that we would be able to rejoice in you, to shout for joy. Father, that you would redeem what has been broken, restore what has been destroyed, and renew a right spirit within us. And teach us this morning about that wonderfully sweet and difficult place of confession. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today as we talk about coming clean, I want to start us with a quote from a man who has often been called the Prince of Preachers. His name is Charles Spurgeon. He pastored in London in the 1800s. And he's one of those guys that just has a way with words and he doesn't pull any punches. As he meditated upon Psalm 32 and he noticed those three words there that that, that come up time and time again in the Scriptures Uh, for what we know as sin, this word transgression and the word sin and the word iniquity. As he meditated upon those words, the Lord gave to him a a visual that I hope will be helpful to you this morning. Charles Spurgeon said, Transgression, sin, and iniquity are the three-headed dog at the gates of hell. But our glorious Lord has silenced his barkings forever against his own believing ones. I want you to get in your head a picture this morning of this vicious, destructive, three-headed dog. He is no house pet. 
His desire is to devour anyone who would draw near to him. Let's look at those three words for a moment. Hell's three-headed dog. The first hit is the one of, of transgression. We see this word all throughout the Old and New Testament. And the idea of transgression is a crossing of the line. We see that God in His righteousness and in His holiness, He has set a standard for His people. And if it's pictured as a line, we find ourselves in the sinfulness of our hearts seeking time and time again to toe that line. We want to see how close we can get to the line that God has set and hopefully not cross over. And it's as if this were the line. I mean, we're going to get as close as we can. We're going to even lean over the line. and We're going to lean as far as we can. And without, we hope that maybe we can just get as close as we can and still not fall over into the place of, of sin. Transgression is when we cross that line. And often we forget the reality that even when we are towing the line, we are putting God to the test in a way that we are already crossing the line. Even if we've not physically done the deed in our minds, we're already going there. You know what that's like when we tow the line and eventually we cross the line. The second word that's used here in Psalm 32 is the word sin. He said, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The idea behind the word sin throughout the scriptures is this idea of missing the mark. It's, a, it's an archery term. It's not the term of a line, it's the term of a bullseye. That God has given a mark that we were meant to meet. A, again, a mark of his righteousness, of his holiness, the good standards of his law. His law is not evil in any way. Just because we couldn't keep it does not mean that his law is wrong and evil. His law is righteous and good. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. And he did that on our behalf. The law is, is good. That bullseye, hitting the bullseye in archery is a good thing. Sin is any distance from the bullseye. And that's what we see so often in our lives. And we think, well, I was really close. And my mom used to always say, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Okay? And really close in the terms of sin in our lives is a hand grenade that goes off in your life. So we got transgression, sin, and the third head of this hideous dog is the one of iniquity, which bears with it the idea of twisting the truth. It's what Satan said to Eve in the garden when, when he said, did God really say, are you really going to die if you eat of this tree? I mean, look at the fruit. It looks really good, doesn't it? And Eve, you can kind of imagine her shaking her head. And don't you think it would be tasty? And you can kind of see that going on. And, you, you know, really God's just wanting to keep you from something. You know that, right, Eve? And she's kind of biting into that. Before she ever takes a bite of the fruit, she's bitten hook, line, and sinker into those lies of the devil, the twisting of God's truth. That's what the devil does so well is he takes a morsel of God's truth and he twists it and he feeds it to as many people as he possibly can. 
And this is that three-headed dog that, that wants to barge into our lives. And so often we fling wide the front door and we welcome him in as a house pet. And he may be ugly at first, but before too long we find ourselves patting him on the head. And then before too long we find ourselves scratching his belly. And before too long we're feeding him. And before too long we're taking him to the vet and taking care of him. Before too long we've welcomed him into our homes. And then comes the day of destruction when he devours us. Because that's his nature. The nature of sin is never to be your plaything. It's always to destroy you. The devil comes to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And his best weapon in that battle is our own sin. And today we're going to talk about how do we deal with the three-headed dog So what's the reason for this step? As we talk about confession today, what's the reason why ultimately already some of you, some of us in this room, we struggle with this so much that we're thinking, okay, why do I really have to do this? Especially the part when you already said where it's going to be to confess and sin to myself and to God and to someone else. And maybe the first two sound okay, but that third one I'm going, why do I really have to go there? It's because of the nature of guilt in our lives. Sin's product in us is shame and guilt, which is like a chain that keeps us bound. It's a, it's a chain that we can't take off all on our own. And it's a, it's a chain that has so many dire consequences for each of us. And, and let, me, let me show you some of these. First of all, guilt destroys our confidence. I'd say, first of all, guilt destroys our confidence in the Lord. Guilt destroys any confidence that we would have in walking with him. Guilt destroys our confidence in our relationships with others because constantly we're living in this place of fear that perhaps someone will see what's really in the darkness of my heart. Perhaps they'll find out what I've really been doing. Perhaps they'll come to know the reality in my life that I've been masking all this time and guilt keeps us from any place of walking in confidence in the Lord. Any confidence of coming before his throne of grace. The Bible says, come before his throne of grace with confidence and you'll find mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. And guilt keeps us from going there. Secondly, guilt damages our relationships. Guilt keeps us from drawing near to other people. Guilt also keeps us from drawing near to God. Guilt causes us to hold God at arm's length and farther if we could because we think if I let God get near to me, he'll see how hideous I really am. Of course, we know theologically God already knows. He knows all things. He knows the deepest recesses of our hearts. He has the number of hairs on our head counted. He knows all things already. But we, like Adam, think that we can hide. As Adam hid in the garden and the Lord came to him and said, Adam, where are you? That question was not for God's benefit. It was not as if God did not know exactly where Adam was and exactly what Adam had done. Whenever God asks a question, it's always for the benefit of the one to whom it is asked. That's a great theological truth for you to dwell on. As you see God asking questions throughout the Scripture, it's never because he doesn't know. It's always because the person he's asking has no clue. Adam had no clue where he was. He had no clue of the gravity of what he had done. And the Lord was beginning to reveal that to him. Brokenness of relationships. And thirdly, guilt keeps us stuck 
in the past. And many of us know what this is like. It's, you're in the quicksand of life. You're just, I can't seem to move beyond where I am. It's like there's ankle weights of 100 pounds on each leg, and every step I take seems to be harder and harder. This guilt is what drags me down and keeps me chained to my past. And that's why this step of confession is so crucial. It is an uphill step, but it's a necessary hill for us to climb. So we're going to get right into it this morning. How do we take this step of confession? How do I get to the place that David got to in Psalm 32? How can I openly examine and confess my faults, my sins, my shortcomings to myself, to God, and to someone I trust? I'm going to walk you through a process this morning, and I hope you'll find this helpful But I hope, I really hope and pray this morning for our church that this will be more than just filling in the blanks on the outline. These are action steps. The Bible warns us not to be just hearers of the word, but to become doers of it. And I think the process we're going to walk through this morning, I see this in David's response in Psalm 32. And I've seen it in godly people who have drawn near to the Lord through the act, the good act of confession. So how do I take this step? First of all, take a personal moral inventory. Now I'm going I'm to walk you through this this morning. This may be a new concept uh, for many in the room, but I want to walk you through this process because we don't talk about a, lot, a lot about these kinds of things uh, in our Americanized Christian culture, in our churches here in the United States today. But I want to walk you through something that I think it played a huge part in church history. We've just lost track of these sorts of acts of confession. Psalm 139 will be our guide for this. I'm going to put it on the screen for you there. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Now, each of those commands there that are, that are given toward the Lord, asking God, God, do this in my life, those set up the steps for taking a personal moral inventory. And, and so here's how you begin. If you would take this step seriously, and if this week this would become something that would be a, a part, become a part of your life, here's how you begin. Go home and take your Bible and open up to Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, and then set beside you a blank sheet of paper. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you, you're probably going to need more than one if you've not done this before, or if you've not done this in a long, long time. Get a blank sheet of paper and a pen. You may even need multiple sheets of paper and multiple pens by the time that you're done. And give yourself at least two hours of uninterrupted time. Put the cell phone in the farthest room and turn it off. No, nothing to distract you from this time. And walk through this process in honesty before the Lord. The first step, search me, O God, and know my heart. This is where you prayerfully before God open yourself up to him. You lay bare before God. This is this is. This is all of me, God. I want to open my heart to you, or at least for some of us, as much as I'm able in this moment, God, I am giving you the warrant to search the house of my heart. As if the police showed up at your house and had a warrant, and rather than trying to keep them out, you just fling wide the door and say, come on in, boys. Look in the underwear drawer. That's where all the bad stuff is. 
Okay? And this is, the, this is it. Giving God the warrant to the home of your heart and allowing Him to come in. God, search me and know my heart. Now again, we're not asking God to discover anything about us because God already knows it all. What we're really doing here is we're allowing God, we're asking God to reveal our hearts to us because we don't know all that's in there. Just like you don't know how many hairs are on your head, you don't know all that's in your heart. And so it's asking God to do that work. That's the first step. And then it goes deeper. The next step says there, try me and know my thoughts. This is the step of testing. It's not just opening ourselves up, but it's opening ourselves up to God to put us to the test. Now, many of us in the room, we, we don't take tests well. We, we're fine with, with learning and studying and all that kind of stuff, but when it comes to test day, we kind of freak out. And this is that kind of test. It's a test of anxiety where, where it's not just going to be, oh yeah, God, come in here and look around and, 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 and see all the stuff in my life, but now it's, God, test me. Put me to the test, God. How's he going to do that? That's the next part. And see if there be any grievous way in me. Again, this is not for God's benefit, as if God doesn't already know what's in your heart and the sins that you hinder. He doesn't doesn't already know all of your hurts and all of your habits and all of your hang-ups. It's not that, that God doesn't know those things. It's that you don't know them all. And this is a process of helping you, of God unveiling for you a discovery of those things. And as you get to this place, this is where you begin to write. You begin to jot down all the things that God is revealing to you. And when you think that you're done, go back and read Psalm 139. Go back if you need to and read Psalm 32 and then God and ask God again, okay, God, what else is there? And you may find yourself writing pages and pages and pages of things. And if we were to stop there, as God reveals all the grievous ways, all the grief-stricken ways in us, if God unveils the filthiness of our hearts, if we were to stop in that place, we would all feel suicidal. If we really took that seriously, we would all think there's no hope. But look at the last step, and please don't leave this one out. It's God, now that I've got it all down on paper, now that I've, that I've laid all this out before you, and you actually you've laid it out before me, God, that's really the reality of what's taking place, then it's this prayer, and lead me in the way everlasting. If you don't go to that last place, you're just left in the pit, and that's not where God wants to leave you. He does not want to take you into this, to leave you in the pit. So many people get this so wrong, they, they see a clear picture of their sin, and they become fixated on their sin rather than fixated on on the cross where Christ died to pay the penalty for it all. And he is the way everlasting. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so I challenge you this week. I dare you this week to set aside the time to take a personal moral inventory you in a blank sheet of paper in your Bible, opening your heart to God, letting Him show you the reality of what's there. 
And then how is he going to lead you in the way everlasting from there? I'm glad you asked that question. That's where we're going next. Take a personal moral inventory. Number two, to accept responsibility for my faults. And already in this moment, let's go ahead and say, this is the very thing, the culture in which we are living, this cultural soup in which we are dwelling, this is the one thing that our culture says, well, don't do that. If you're going to write down all your junk on a piece of paper, then find somebody to tag it to, is what our culture says. Blame your parents, blame your, your parent, blame your blame the media, blame anybody you can blame, but don't dare accept responsibility for your own junk. Whereas David looked at his sin and he said, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He said, I'm the one that did it. I'm the man. I'm responsible for all of this. That's a hard moment. And again, if we stopped in that place, we would all be suicidal and left in this pit of despair. It doesn't stop there, though. Good reminder from 1 John. If we say we have no sin, or if we won't take responsibility for our sin, we deceive ourselves. We're still living in denial, and the truth is not in us. So where do we go from there? Step three is to ask God for forgiveness. Look what David says here. In verse 5, he says, Lord, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Lord, you did what only you could do. In taking care of the problem I could never fix. To ask God for forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9, it comes right after the verse we just looked at. We know this verse, but we're reminded of its power this morning. That if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just. That's, who our, that's how our God's character is. He is faithful and He is just. And He will forgive us. He will cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. And that word all is there for a reason because we so often think, well, maybe God will just scrape off the surface layer of my sin. Maybe God's not really willing to go to the depths because I know there's some pretty filthy stuff in there and maybe God's not willing to go there with me. Folks, it says all for a reason. His ultimate goal in your life is to remove every last bit of your unrighteousness and to clothe you fully in the righteousness of Christ. You want to know why the cross? There's an answer for you this morning. The cross was because of your sin Jesus was paying the penalty for all that you had done against God. Every time you crossed the line, every time you missed the mark, every time you twisted God's word. And offering you complete and total forgiveness. But a part of this process, and a crucial part, is confession. That, that word there, it says, if we confess, I love that Greek word. It's the Greek word, homo legeo, 
which literally means the same word. Confession means that I look at that th- those things of my spiritual, or my personal moral inventory that we just talked about, that I can look at what God has revealed, the sinfulness of my heart, and I can look at those things and I can say the same word that God says about them. Maybe the same words. Maybe I can look at it and say, that's really hideous. That's grotesque. That's utterly ridiculous. I can look at the things that have hindered my heart, my hurts, and my habits, and my hang-ups, and, and I, can, I can say all the same words about God, but can I say the last word that God says? To those who believe, who believe in Him, who trust Him, and take Him at His word, God says, and they're also forgiven. And sometimes that's the hardest place for us to go. To receive that final word. Number four. And here's where it gets tough. Here is where we will tend to shy away from this process. To admit my faults to another person. And I know how the brakes go on in this moment. Internally, I know where this goes for us. It's so common that we get even to this place. I'm okay. It's okay. I can put it down on paper. It's okay. I can, I can ask God for his forgiveness. It's, a, it's okay. I can even accept responsibility for my faults. But actually taking that piece of filthy paper and showing it to another human being the first question we often ask is, why in the world would I do that? Why in the world would I put all my dirty laundry on display for somebody else to see? That doesn't make even any sense at all. That just sounds ridiculous. You want to know why we do that? Look at James five sixteen, and you, I hope, will see it. Hopefully this will be enough. Therefore, cons- confess your sins, not to God, what does it say? To one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that what? That the result might be your healing. That you might be healed for the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, it says in the NIV. This is why. You want to be healed? You want to see God bring freedom to you that you've never known before? You, you want to see a release from that which has hindered you in a way that you never thought possible? This is the kind of step that will take you to that place. But I want to I give you some wisdom before we move on from this point. I'll give you some wisdom in a, in a little acronym. So who do you tell? And those letters, T-E-L-L, are going to give you four principles. Let's not be idiots about this because I've seen this before. I would not suggest, by the way, don't take your personal moral inventory and post that sucker on Facebook. Okay? That is real. That's just my encouragement for you today. I know some of you are going, well, why not? Well, if you're asking that question, Kent's got a tack hammer. He'll hit you with it on the way out. 
Just don't do that. And we see this so often, people putting all that stuff out there in a place that's, that's not the way God intended it to be. We're not meant to glory in our garbage. That's a, that's a false place. We're meant to glory in our Lord. And so how, who do you tell? Let me give you four principles that can help you in this process. First of all, it's got to be somebody who's trustworthy. Somebody that you trust. That was the part of the step. The last words in that step was until somebody that you, you trust. It's got to be somebody that's trustworthy. That's, hopefully we know what that means. If you need to ask, they're probably not. Secondly, somebody who's empathetic. Somebody who's empathetic enough to understand the value of what you're doing. That can understand why you would take your personal moral inventory and share it with them. Maybe, maybe somebody who's done that with you or you know they've done that with others in the past. Somebody who gets the value of a process like this, who can understand because they've been a part of it. Or maybe just somebody that you know um, they, can, they can handle this. They they have that gift of empathy. Number three, somebody who's level-headed enough that they're not going to be shocked. The, the last thing that you need when you go through this process, when you begin into a process like this, the last thing that you need is for you to have walked through these steps, to take the personal more inventory, to accept the responsibility for that, to have asked God forgiveness, and then you go to sit down with somebody who you think is trustworthy and empathetic, and they begin to read your stuff, and they flip out. That is the last thing that you need. Because that will drive you back into the cave that you are trying to come out of. So you need somebody who's level-headed enough, maybe who's been around the block enough that they're not going to be shocked. In fact, most of the time this means confessing to someone who's older than us, who has more life experience. And I'm not saying that's always the case. Sometimes it is, it is a peer, but I think oftentimes the valuable thing here is, is with age comes wisdom. Finally, this is the most important one. Somebody who loves Jesus. And somebody who loves Jesus enough that they can be a mirror to reflect God's love and forgiveness to you. Other than somebody who would flip out, the last thing that you need is someone, and after they have seen what God has revealed about your heart, when you look into their eyes, all you see is their judgment. That's, that's not what you need. You need somebody who you know has a deep love relationship with Jesus Christ that can act as a mirror for you so that when you look into your, their face, you can see the love and affection and forgiveness of your Savior. And I want to encourage you this week in this process. Let me make a statement before we move on. We're going to wrap these things up here in just a moment. This is not one of those what I call a, a back pocket sermon. Here's what I mean by a, a back pocket sermon. There are some things that I've had the privilege to preach that I encourage folks, you know, this may not be for you right now, so just take that and stick it in your back pocket. One day you'll need it. You may not be going through such and such and so and so right now. So just take that and stick it in your back pocket. One day you're going to need it. This is not one of those folks. It's just not. If you're sitting here right now saying, I don't really need this, you're probably the one in the room that needs it more than anybody else. And that's not to point a finger of judgment at you. I'm trying to help you to see the value of these things. 
So don't stick this one in your back pocket. I'm encouraging you this week in not being just a hearer of the word, but becoming a doer of it. Begin this process this very week. When you go home, you're going to probably be stuck at home because of this coming ice storm. That's God's gift to you. Turn off your TV, put away your cell phone, and get out your blank piece of paper and your Bible. And receive as an act of God's grace in your life the opportunity to do something that may change your life from this point forward in a way you couldn't begin to imagine. We shy away from these places because they're difficult places. It's much easier to to travel the downhill portions of this road to recovery. As the slope begins to go upward, we go, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe I don't want to go there. But you got to go uphill to get to the top of the mountain. Some of you know what I mean by what I just said. Let me leave you with a couple of quotes. First of all, a man that I'm growing to love more and more in his writings. It's a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He died in a Nazi concentration camp back in World War II because of his stand for the Lord. He said this about confession. The confession is the God-given remedy for self-deception and self-indulgence. When we confess our sins before a brother Christian, we are mortifying the pride of the flesh and delivering it up to shame and death through Christ. There's so many people that, that, that say, I wish I could just bury this sin. I, I wish I could just bury this hurt, this habit, this hang-up, this thing I've been dealing with forever. I wish I could just bury it. But here's the problem. We're not supposed to bury things that are still alive. It's got to be put to death before it can be buried. And if you want to know how to put to death that thing, that means bringing it into the light. Bring it into the light, allowing God to open your heart and to reveal to you what's there. Begin the process of accepting responsibility for that, asking God to forgive you. And in, in the movement of that process, stepping into the life of another that you trust, someone that you, you can tell, and revealing those things and allowing God to do what only He can do. What is that thing? It's the last point on your outline. To accept God's forgiveness and forgive myself. You may find yourself in this moment struggling with one or both of those things, accepting God's forgiveness, accepting your own forgiveness. They're both, I believe, tied together in a very unique and special way. Folks, when God forgives, he forgives instantly. He forgives totally. And he forgives in such a way that he never brings it up again. If you have received the forgiveness of God, the only reason it keeps coming up in your life is because you're the one that's bringing it up. God's going, I don't know what you're talking about. I already forgave that. I cast that sin as far as the east is from the west. So far have I removed your transgressions from you. What are you talking about? 
But we get out our shovels of guilt and we begin to dig it up again. We begin to unearth what God wants to bury once and for all in our lives. And when he buries it, he means to resurrect in us a newness of life that we've never known before. And we keep going back to the graveyard. You were never meant to live in the graveyard. We know Romans 3.23. We know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but so often we stop there. And Romans 3.24 is where the hope of the gospel is. And we know that we all have fallen short of the glory of God, but then he says, and we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is what God wants to bring into your life. And so oftentimes we stop at Romans 3.23 and we go, man, I know we're all sinners and we're all screwed up and we're all a mess please don't stop there this morning receive God's forgiveness and God's grace be justified by his grace as a gift nothing you could ever earn nothing you could ever deserve nothing you could ever do it's not pulling yourself up by your own spiritual bootstraps this is this is not you working your way to him this is you receiving by faith this grace that he is offering to you his forgiveness comes as a free gift no other way you cannot purchase it you cannot earn it you cannot redeem yourself it has to come through jesus he's the only way We come toward the end of our service this morning. I want to give you the opportunity to begin this process. We would be kidding ourselves if we thought we could complete a process like this in the time we have left in this room this morning. Like I said, we need to find a block of at least two hours of time, a blank sheet of paper, and get alone with God in our Bible. And I pray that you're going to do that. But in this moment, I want us to have a time where we can begin this process of confession. Just asking God to begin this good work in us and knowing the Bible says clearly, if he begins a good work in you, he is going to bring it to completion. Because ultimately, it's it's his work, not yours. I want to share with you a video this morning. We're going to we're going to bring down the lights, and I want, to, I want you to fix your, your eyes on the screen and, and allow this to wash over you during this time. This is, this is a prayer. This is a crying out to God. This is a wake-up call. This is all those things rolled up into one. And as we examine, begin to examine our hearts together, my prayer for us is simply this, that God would reveal to us this sweet and difficult place of true confession, the kind that leads to true healing and freedom and redemption. So I'll fix our eyes up here. Lord, lead us in this time.
us our prayer as we come to a point of decision this morning. Whether or not we will step into this place of confession. Whether or not we will come out of hiding and into your hiding place. Whether or not we will come out of our darkness and into your light. Whether or not we'll come out of our groaning and into your gladness. Whether or not we'll come out of our rejection and into your rejoicing. Whether or not, Father, we'll come out of the place where we feel as though we're wasting away and come into that place where we know we're growing every day in Christ. So, Lord, I pray simply for us that you might instill within us the commitment to walk in these things that have been portrayed for us today, that have been put forth for us today, to walk the path that David walked. We know it will be an uphill battle and we have an adversary that would try to keep us from it, that would convince us to continue in the place where we're hiding in the darkness, but you're beckoning us into the light. Lord, may we grow sick and may we grow weary of continuing to travel in the darkness, stuck in the past, stuck in broken relationships, stuck in all of our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups. And Lord, may we truly find that newness of life that comes when we honestly come to you in God-given, Christ-inspired, Spirit-empowered confession. Help us to begin in these moments, Lord, before we leave this building. Help us to begin what you will surely bring to its righteous and rightful completion in Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.